Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. On this edition of The Intersection, there is more coverage of the National Religious Broadcasters Convention Proclaim 19 in Anaheim, California. Miles McPherson of The Rock Church and Academy in San Diego visited with me at the convention and shared comments on approaching race relations biblically. And at NRB, there was a launch event for the new film studio, Kingdom Studios. John and Andy Irwin are part of that overall effort, and they visited Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central in the exhibit hall to share about the concept and forthcoming projects. You'll be hearing part of that conversation. Then staying on the movie track, Ted Baer of Movie Guide stopped by to provide some analysis of the entertainment industry and provided information about the annual gala in Los Angeles in which the Movie Guide Awards are presented. Some highlights of that NRB discussion are ahead. Also coming up on this edition of The Intersection, it's constitutional law professor and media commentator Jenna Ellis. She discussed the vision of the founders of our nation and the Christian worldview background of the U.S. Constitution. Also, from NRB, encouragement from Percy McRae of Our Journey of Hope, which helps to equip churches to minister to cancer patients in their congregations. Finally, it's Lorraine Varela. She visited Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at NRB 2019 in Anaheim. She was involved in the prayer effort for the pro-life film Unplanned and has written a devotional book designed to minister healing to women who have experienced abortion. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Miles McPherson is the founding pastor of the Rock Church and Academy in San Diego and a former player in the NFL. He visited Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at the 2019 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Anaheim, California, and discussed principles that he incorporates into the book, The Third Option, Hope for a Racially Divided Nation. This is Miles McPherson now. There are races of all cultures, no doubt, and, and we all have to step back. And that's why when I wrote this book, I wrote this book for everybody. And what's, what was fascinating and very satisfying is to have blacks, Hispanics, whites come up to me after reading the book and saying, this really challenged me. Uh, because I wrote it for everybody. I didn't write it just for one group. I wrote it for all of us because we all need it. Mm, absolutely. Miles McPherson joining us today here on The Meeting House on Faith Radio, National Religious Broadcasters 2019. Faith Radio in the Meeting House with our broadcast center here in the exhibit hall. Well, Pastor, you've authored this book. It's called The Third Option. We've been talking about some of the, the principles. So as you see, as you see the status, culturally speaking, of race relations today, what would be, and this is a two-part question, what would be your appraisal of the overall situation? And what are the most meaningful, potentially effective ways that the church can be involved in addressing issues surrounding race in our culture today. Yeah. Oh, that's a mouthful. Sorry about that. A mouthful. But, yeah. I think, you know, I, I believe that people receive Christ as their Savior because the devil overplayed his hand in their life. The devil mm, pushed them too far. Yeah. And I believe the devil is pushing, pushing culture too far yeah. when it comes to race. And like never before do I see churches, specifically white churches, say, let's talk about it, which is a great thing. Because whether we want to accept it or not, until the white culture embraces reconciliation is not going to be fixed, okay? So it's a great thing, and I'm very encouraged by it. And I think what the church can do is talk, get to know people. It's not, it's not about learning a theory or reading a book. It's about having a relationship. 
And it's about really understanding that the people you see on television aren't what the television tells you they are. That you need to get to know people, have people in your house. I wonder how many people listening uh, have had someone in their house or been in their house of someone that they talk about. You don't know them. You, you, don't, you don't know a group of people by knowing one or two or working with one or two. You have to have a relationship. So I think the best thing that can happen is that churches can build relationships with people that don't look like them, that come from different parts of the neighborhood. Let's stop flying to Africa and drive down the street and visit some people in our own neighborhood, in our own city, and build relationships. And I think that is probably the best thing the church can do. We hear the phrase racial reconciliation a lot. There are those that are championing that cause. I believe it's a very, a very biblical cause, but it means different things to different people. And sometimes you'll hear people talk about racial reconciliation. That's not what really their view of. It's not necessarily the biblical view from a biblical standpoint and how the church can be involved. What do you, how do you see racial reconciliation, how that would look? People have to be racially reconciled in their own heart to say, I don't have I have love and informed love for my brother. It's one thing to love somebody because you're contractually, biblically required to. It's another thing to like somebody, which means you enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can't yeah. enjoy it unless you know them. And I think it's one thing to say, okay, I, I have a friend that looks like this, or I went to this church that doesn't look like me, and that's all great and fun. But do you have a relationship? Have you, have, do you have a bond with someone and a community that you're learning from about you're learning their pain you're learning their journey and you're and you you know the bible says in galatians chapter 6 verse 2 uh bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of christ whose burden are you mm. bearing when people yeah. say they don't see color one of the, the one of the reasons that's offensive is because you are saying to that person the burden that your color has put on your back i ignore and if you ignore my burden and, and, and ignore the fact that it exists, you can't help me carry it. You can't love me. What you're doing is you're erasing everything that this color has given me. And by the way, white, white, has a, white is a color and it has a burden. So it's not just black. We have to acknowledge who God made us and acknowledge the burden that culture has put on that and say to each other, I want to carry that burden with you. And, and I think that's what we need to do. It's called the third option. The it's third. a different way. You've said things that that are very unique in our culture because, like you say, people, this is the most polarized culture these days. Yes, and, and love, love can overcome that. If love doesn't overcome it, then the Bible isn't true. But I know the Bible's true. Absolutely. But we just have to live it. Miles McPherson here on The Intersection. Find out more through his website, milesmcpherson.com. McPherson is spelled M-C-P-H-E-R-S-O-N. Next up, in correlation with the launch of Kingdom Studios at the 2019 NRB Convention in Anaheim, California, Andy and John Irwin visited Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central in the exhibit hall from that conversation, here are the Irwins. I think the question is, how do we compete globally for the hearts and minds of a generation? And could we dream bigger? Could we ask God for more? And we always dreamed of the idea, you know, that a, that a Christian blockbuster was possible. And we're so close, it's incredible to see. I can only imagine, uh, you know, uh, gross over $80 million and be the number one independent film of the year. And, and uh, 
you know, be all over the world right now. And that massive success that the audience gave us gave afforded us such enormous influence in an industry. And we just wanted to dream of a place uh, called Kingdom that would empower artists, emerging artists, more stories to be told. And I just think that we've just scratched the surface. Uh, you know, someone asked me uh, here today, are we in the golden age of Christian film? And I, and I said, I think we're just beginning. I think it's gonna have a new birth. I think we're just discovering what it is. And I think the key is there's all this talent. There's all this young talent and uh, young emerging voices. And, and we wanted to use our success to try to galvanize that talent. And so I think it's another leap forward. I was so excited to see Variety and Hollywood Reporters and some of the others this morning say faith-based slate, you know, Lionsgate and Kingdom <laughs> un Unveil of Faith. Those three words have never gone together. You know, so the idea that we can unveil multiple films at one time and, and, uh, and you know, we were just so blessed. I mean, Andy and I are from Birmingham, Alabama, you know, and this should not be happening. And, uh, and, <laughs> sure, and, and, sure and the should. idea that we've been able to dream for so long and, and the audience has come with us and God's blessed it and those dreams are becoming a reality is really mind-blowing to me. Well, you mentioned the so-called faith-based slate, and I want to revert to something that Kevin Downs had been talking about with relationship to this th this agreement with Lionsgate is the, the head of that company saying that they no longer see Christian film or faith-based film as being a niche Correct. market. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that, and I mentioned this to Kevin and Tony, that you, you see this this phrase faith-based and sometimes that you know that conjures up connotations that might not necessarily be positive and so you're you're looking at going out there with a message that exalts Christ a excellent stories that from a from a business standpoint are competitive with what you would call general market films we certainly saw that with I can only imagine mm -hmm. and we're gonna let's go through that slate because it's pretty I mean, it's very exciting Andy you got another film coming out I still believe now you know somebody say okay so this is a film oh it's another film about another Christian musical artist no no, no. That's, that's not it. It's, it's again, it's what the Irwins are known for, telling good stories. And here's another story based on a true story of a Christian musical artist who has been through it, someone who's got, who God has really touched in a powerful way. So this, this I still believe coming out next year is uh, yeah. excellent. Yeah, Bob, it, you know, it, believe me, you know, we're always really uh, blown away when we find a story that captures our soul. You know, so uh, when we finished, I, I can only imagine, I, I wasn't looking for another music movie next. But we sat down with Jeremy Kemp and his wife, Aidy, and walked through his story of his love relationship with his first wife, uh, that they were married in college, and she uh, passed away uh, early on in their marriage. And just their challenges that they faced together, the, the story just so was so beautiful and so romantic and so uh, compelling that... Uh, it really grabbed my soul and I walked out of that meeting and I looked at John and I said you're gonna think I'm crazy but I want to do that movie and um, and it's got a different you know feel uh, than anything we've done before it's a very young beautiful love story and uh, I think this one's gonna really be uh, catch people off guard uh, in, in, a, in a whole new way John and Andy Irwin here on the Intersection Podcast. Upcoming movies include I Still Believe, featuring the story of Jeremy Camp, Jesus Revolution, the story of Greg Laurie and the 1970s Jesus Movement, also part of a series of Bible-based films, Apostles, Resurrection of Christ, and Drummer Boy being developed with For King and Country. Learn more through the Facebook page at Kingdom Studios. 
Next up, it's Ted Baer of Movie Guide. He stopped by at the 2019 NRB convention in Anaheim and provided analysis of the entertainment industry and shared highlights from the annual Movie Guide Awards. From that conversation, here is Ted Baer. These independent films have, uh, the number of people making the sex and violence has decreased and the number of people making Christian films has increased. So in both levels, Hollywood and the independent. Now the independent world is not Hollywood, so we have to get that. And when you say that, I know that the Oscars, the Academy Awards, basically the, you know, the joke going around is that the, usually the, the pictures that are nominated and those that win the Best Picture Awards for, for years and years, by and large, they're the, the independent films that nobody really has seen. Well, that's absolutely true. But <laughs> how that happened, um, you mentioned that my father won the box office award in 1936. In 1936, you had the Wampas Award, Western Association of Motion Picture Distributors, etc. You had, uh, you know, the Box Office Award, which was from Box Office Magazine. You had all these different awards. And the studios set up the Oscars to honor studio films like King of Kings and Ben-Hur, etc. And up until the 70s, the studios had those Oscars. Remember Dr. Zhivago, whatever, the studio, big mm. studio movie would win. Then in the 70s, because of the system of the Oscars, let's say you produce two movies, um, sleazy little political movies, and you got somebody in the Academy who nominated you, you could be a member of the Academy. Well, the old guys, and many of them I knew because I grew up in the industry, were dying and these guys who only did two films, they may never do another film in their life, who were independent producers and directors and writers, were suddenly monopolizing. So out of the 6,000 people who come from, let's say, the acting category, you maybe have 60%, 70% of them now who are independent filmmakers. So they don't look at Oscars. So the, they, the studios have lost control of the Oscars. And many studio heads will come to the Movie God Awards uh, go to movieguide.org, I'm plugging it, and they'll say, we love these awards. In fact, somebody said it this year because we get awards here. We can't get them at the Oscars. So the studios don't have any influence on the Oscars anymore, and the Oscars have sort of self-destructed. Ted Baer joining us today, the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center, National Religious Broadcasters 2019 in Anaheim, California. Well, Ted, let's talk about. You mentioned the Oscars. I'm going to be. Re- I'm just going to be very transparent here. And Good. for some reason, I'm I'm sitting here, and I cannot for the life of me. And you, I'm, I'm sure you can. You, you know, snap your finger, and no, not you know half the population will disappear. But uh, you you'll snap your finger, and and you can tell me what won Best Picture of the Oscars this year. I can't even think who who what did win well, Best the, Picture. The movies that were at the top were Roma, which was a very left wing communist yeah. movie, and yeah, Net- Netflix and, film and, too, right? Right, Netflix. Yeah, and, and uh, unfortunately, the movies at the top were all movies that you wouldn't want to see. Yeah, um, and nobody goes to them. It used to be that after the Oscars, I get a call from one of our supporters, and they'd say, "I went to see this movie that just won the Oscars." You know, fifty. Shades of Grey or whatever the name of it is. And it was terrible. Why did I go? And I <laughs> yeah. said, you know, you didn't have to go. Yeah, yeah. You could go to movieguide.org, find out what was good, and right. avoid the Oscar. I don't get those calls anymore. I think people have now understood that Oscar is a naked statue, and they don't want the naked statue in their living room. Or uh, I still think they watch them on Netflix. You know, Netflix, I'm not going to fight against Netflix. But they're going to be better services when Disney does its streaming service. It's going to be great. Uh, 
Christian services are going to be out there doing their streaming services. You have choices. And, and let me just say this very clearly, Bob, because, you know, my wife, uh, who I love dearly and has been on chemo for 25 years, will tell me when I come home, I saw this television program and it was awful. I said, you don't have to watch the program. Listen to me. 125 million people go to church every week. Only 25 million people go to movies. If you voted, if their children voted for the good Lego movie to, or which has a good moral base, or How to Train Your Dragon, or Unplanned This Weekend, or Pilgrim's mm. Progress, come, if you vote for the good, mm. they'll make more good. If you don't tell me I went to see this bad movie <laughs> and how horrible, you paid money for it. As a matter of fact, every theater, if you, if you ask them, If you leave quickly enough, we'll give you your money back. So just mm. leave within the first 10 minutes. Get your money back. Don't <laughs> yeah. do this to yourself. And go to movieguide.org and find out yeah. what's, what's inside. Ted Baer here on The Intersection. Find out more by going to the website movieguide.org. Well, you are listening to The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by going to the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the media center marked Meeting House On Demand through which you could listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection Podcast. The podcast is also available through the Media Center as well as iTunes, the podcast featuring highlights of the Meeting House program. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. There's also a link to video content, including recently added content from the NRB convention in California. Again, that website address, meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to faithradio.org, find out more in the programming section. Content from the Meeting House program is also available through the Faith Radio app, as well as other apps, including iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Again, you can learn more by going to faithradio.org or meetinghouseonline.info. Jenna Ellis stopped by Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at NRB 2019. She is a constitutional law professor and commentator. She has authored the book, The Legal Basis for a Moral Constitution. She discussed the U.S. Constitution as envisioned by the founders, consistent with a biblical worldview perspective. Here now is Jenna Ellis. Truth is self-evident that all men are created equal. They're endowed by their creator, not their government, with certain unalienable rights. And that is the legitimate truth about the definition of family, the definition of marriage, uh, the, uh, the parental rights, everything that we are as human beings made in the image of God. God gives us our rights. They're pre-political. So then when our founding fathers were looking at setting up, what's the best government system to preserve and protect those rights that God gives? They create created this document called the Constitution, which gives our government specific limited powers for the sole purpose and responsibility to preserve and protect what God has already given us. So when someone asks, you know, it, it's this so-called right to abortion, for example, and that's constitutional. So well, called. no. 
so-called because it's not at all a right uh, because it's not God-given. Of course, he doesn't give us um, anything about the, the right to take the life of an unborn child. And so, of course, that's not constitutional because there's nothing in the Constitution and that Declaration Worldview Statement that would give the government legitimate authority to take uh, to, to codify or to make law around abortion. Jenna Ellis, constitutional law attorney, joining us today here on the Meeting House on Faith Radio. We are at National Religious Broadcasters 2019 in Anaheim, California. Well, it is just remarkable when you really think about the founders and what they crafted. They basically took, as you mentioned, I like what you said in the in the Declaration of Independence, that there is a worldview statement. And it talks about these rights being self-evident. In other words, we can see them. They are tangible rights. They are self-evident if we'll just look at them and, and see them. And there's so many in this culture in which we live that they don't see these self-evident rights. They want to, uh, they want to go after a more progressive, enlightened point of view that really ignores these self-evident rights. Absolutely. And what they're doing is they want to give government the power to arbitrarily decide moral truth based on man's whim. And so the example that I give in my book is that, um, you know, if, if Congress tomorrow said, you know what would be great for the state of Alabama? Let's repeal the law of gravity. And we can all fly, you know, and see, and, and exactly, that's right. that's the response is that we would laugh because we know that the legislature doesn't actually have that authority. They may think they do, they may claim it, they could pass all kinds of bills and resolutions, nothing would actually change, right? So they don't have that power. In the very same way, government does not have the legitimate power to codify anything that goes against moral truth of God. And so they don't have the legitimate authority to say that you have a right to abortion or to pass abortion law. They don't have the right to foreclose parental rights or to um, you know, foreclose religious liberty or freedom of speech, all of these things that are God-given. And so when we're talking about the context of why we are so privileged to live in America and why this American experiment was so unique throughout the course of human history, it's because we were the first government system that was built on that truth truth rather yes. than the government defining what can you do let me tell you what to do the the secular humanist foundation would say that man decides for himself the, de the difference between right and wrong, good and evil. But we know that that definition has to come from something outside man if it remains objective, if it remains um, consistent. And so that has to come from something outside of, God, of man, which of course is God. Yeah. And that's what our founders recognized. And it's just amazing when you think back about these men who made this decision, who crafted this system of government, I believe under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, a, an experiment in democracy that has survived hundreds of years that had never been put into practice before. When you think about that, is it is truly amazing and remarkable. It is. And, you know, when we look at why America as a society has been so uh, just uniquely blessed and how much we are a Christian nation. What does that mean? That doesn't mean that we force other people to believe in God. I mean, God himself doesn't force us to mm -hmm. believe in him. Right. We have that opportunity. But what, uh, what our founding fathers recognized, that we are a Christian nation and how we can defend that premise is to say we are founded on the Christian worldview. We are founded on the premise that government doesn't give us our rights, God does. And so, for example, if you say, I have a First Amendment right to freedom of speech, that's not precisely accurate. I have a God-given, fundamental, unalienable right, 
as a human being made in the image of God to freedom of speech, free exercise of religion, to worship God um, in society how I choose according to my conscience, that the government is obligated to preserve and protect. Jenna Ellis from NRB 2019. You can find her on Twitter with the handle RealJenna, J-E-N-N-A, Ellis. Next on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Percy McRae, founder and director of Our Journey of Hope, which is a cancer care ministry. He's also the national director of faith-based programs for Cancer Treatment Centers of America. He discussed training that's being offered to local church members in caring for cancer patients. This is a conversation from Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at NRB 2019 in Anaheim. From that conversation, this is Percy McRae. First of all, let's demystify who who these special individuals need to be as one of the things that in some cases is, is, is prohibiting individuals from huh. stepping forward and raising their hand saying that I want to get involved in this type of ministry. But, you know, if you think about the, the dynamic of in many congregations, average size congregation, I believe, is still considered to be 150, 200 members. When you take all of the churches and then you kind of do the math among them, about 200, 250 members, there's probably someone sitting inside of that congregation who either has or is working in the healthcare field, a nurse, uh, maybe in some cases a doctor or a clinician inside of a healthcare organization. They certainly would be someone that would be ideal, if you will, to, to be part of a cancer care or healthcare ministry inside of a local congregation. But how about people who have experienced cancer mm. or are family members of individuals who've experienced cancer? They also, too, would make ideal individuals who could begin to become part of a team of individuals who are focused on cancer care ministry. But the reality of the fact is you don't have to be someone that's part of the healthcare community, past or present. You don't necessarily need to be someone who has been uh, directly involved or impacted by someone with cancer, but just someone who loves God and loves his people and are saying, listen, I'm willing to provide practical love and support. Virtually anyone can become a part of a cancer care ministry inside of a local congregation. Well, let's drill down just a bit about this concept of cancer care ministry. Yep. What, is, what, what does is that, that look like? Yep, yeah. absolutely. Well, from the perspective of our journey of hope, first and foremost, there needs to be a leader, someone who basically is going to stand in front of a group of people and provide a vision and energy and structure. And we provide all of those resources to empower individuals to do just that. So we're not sending individuals back empty-handed. They're going to be provided with all sorts of resources and materials, as well as online, that will empower them to actually structure what a cancer care ministry looks like. You go back, you announce that you're going to start a cancer care ministry. Of course, hopefully the pastor is endorsing that, casting that vision, saying this is where we're going. And then they need to develop a name. What are we going to call this ministry? Something that is visceral, that people will relate to, and that it will accurately describe what that agenda and objective of that group is in terms of what they're going to do with that ministry. Then from there, you schedule your own trainings because you are going to start developing and training individuals with the curriculum that is going to be provided to you free of charge by our Journey of Hope to begin to download concepts a hospital visitation. The average person does not know how to do an effective hospital visitation. And you know why? Because no one ever taught them how to do a hospital visitation. We thought you just show up and you just visit people, right? Wrong. It's just like anything else. There is a way to do that. There's an art and science to it. There's some things that you should not do. There's some things you should not say, et cetera, et cetera. We have provided all of those guidelines along with several other things that begins to construct 
what a cancer care ministry is and what members of that cancer care ministry should and should not be doing. Well, I think we've got a, a an elephant in the room or an elephant in the booth here. Okay, and let's I want I want to address <laughs> this with you. You mentioned it earlier, and I think that this is something. I know I face it. I think a lot of people face it, and it also drives cancer patients, perhaps as you were were talking about, into a a sense of being isolated. Yep. And that is fear of what to say. Yep. It's like okay, my friend, my family member has cancer. Yep. Okay, you can I, I may pat him on the back and say. All right, well, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm praying for you or Correct. something like that. I mean, how do you remove that fear from people that have had cancer strike them in the form of, of say, affecting a, a loved one or a friend? First, we have to demystify this disease. Cancer, according to the American Cancer Society, is affecting a close to 16 million thousand, 16 million Americans, 16 mm. million. Wow. Uh, one out of out of three people are estimated to be diagnosed with cancer at some point in their lifetime, according to the American Cancer Society. So cancer has been this mysterious big beast, This, as you said, the elephant in the living room. Well, 20 years ago, when people talked about cancer, we thought about it in, in, in terms of people dying from cancer. We now have statistics that strongly tell us that people are living longer than any time ever before with a diagnosis of cancer. When we equip and educate cancer care leaders and ministers inside of our local churches with some of that practical information, first and foremost, it'll help to take some of that mystery out of the disease. Percy McRae here on The Intersection. Find out more by going to OurJourneyOfHope.com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection Podcast, the author of the book, Plan from the Start, a healing devotional released to coincide with the release of the film Unplanned, Lorraine Varela, who is involved in prayer for the movie, visited to discuss the film and her devotional book. From that conversation, this is Lorraine Varela. I just give so much credit to our directors, Carrie Solomon and Chuck Consulman, who carried the heart for prayer from before um, we even got onto set. I started praying and leading the group of prayer uh, warriors about six months prior to us even starting the project on the set and filming. So how did you, how did you first get involved in the, in the project directly? Well, I'm a screenwriter, okay. and Carrie and Chuck were speaking at a, at a writer's conference one day, and they, as they were speaking, God gave me a screenplay to write. And prior to that time, I had not been a screenwriter, and I'd never written fiction, let alone writ, read a script. But I knew that God was in it, and Carrie and Chuck loved the idea. And in a year from that date, the screenplay was finished, and they put it into development. And so that became... It's, it's called Love in the Face of ISIS, but it's not unplanned. And so they worked on my screenplay. Okay. And then when 10 days before Donald Trump was uh, elected as president of the United States, they heard from the Lord to say, put aside the, the projects that they're working on. Unplanned would go first. So I got a phone call and I was heard that mine was shelved temporarily until the Lord said go. And that if we would be willing to just come and serve the team, they would like us, my husband and, I, and myself, to be their prayer team oh and um, on-set ministers. So how'd that make you feel? Get your, your screenplay set aside for the unplanned movie well you know i am grateful that they hear from the lord because yeah. i don't want to rush the timing and it has to be in his timing and as we can see with unplanned we could not have foreseen the events that were taking place going to take place in our nation you can't time that if you want mm. to so we know that the hand of god is on unplanned and i trust i know that the way that he gave me the script love in the face of isis is a miracle and he has a purpose for it and it's going to be in his timing not ours 
I was having this discussion. You, I, I'm sure you know Sean Carney. Yes. Uh, he, he and I did an interview, and okay. a lot of it was about the movie. Uh-huh. And, and just dawned on me here the significance of the timing. Obviously, yes. it's playing off the the name of Abby's book right. and Planned Parenthood. Right. And, but there's an, there's another element here with respect to the timing of the release of this film. Mm-hmm. Like in my almost 30 years here in Ministry of Faith Radio, I've never seen the intensity of the abortion debate rise to the level that we are seeing in these days. And here we have a film that God has raised up for such a time as this, when we are seeing states embrace infanticide, when you have states that are like New York that are liberalizing their abortion laws, you have other states that are banning abortion at earlier stages of pregnancy. And the issue has been front and center now in America for quite, you know, quite a few months and into this entire national debate. You got the movie. You got to say the hand of God is in that. Right. And you know, the hand of God isn't just in the movie in terms of bringing the issue of life to the forefront, but it's also to bring healing because that's just the one thing that we've noticed is that so many stories are coming to the surface as Unplanned gets more attraction. Even on set, we had people that walked onto set. We had cast members, we had crew that learned about their abortion history, Um, people that were abortion survivors and didn't know it, Um, women that had abortions and all of a sudden they're being healed from this. So this is a movie that has power to uh, to break off the shame and release those stories so that the healing of God can take place. Well, you have written this healing devotional. It is called Planned from the Start. So tell me about what you wanted to communicate through right. this book. Well, there are five major areas of emotional pain that women and men face following abortion, grief, guilt, shame, regret, and depression. And so this book is just an antidote to those feelings and to those emotions, bringing in the healing of God to release um, to release joy, forgiveness, grace, and comfort and hope into those areas. And so there are five devotionals or five testimonies that, that accompany each of these areas of emotional pain of people who've walked through abortion and found healing by the grace of God. So there's power in testimony. And if God could do it for them, they can do it for you. So how do you see that the healing process occurs? You bring up Mm -hmm. these five areas. How have you seen some effective ways that people can actually appropriate that healing that God has provided? Well, I think it all starts with the area of grief, because as one of my friends said that I interviewed, you cannot grieve um, if you don't acknowledge that a life was lost. And so there's acknowledgement that it wasn't just a clump of cells or a lump of tissue, but there was actually a, a human baby that was killed in the act of abortion. And there's an, there's an appropriate need to grieve. The body holds on to grief. It needs to have an outlet for grief. Even if it's denied or suppressed or ignored, the body can, holds on to that. And grief is the area that we want to touch first, to have his, the, the mourning turn to joy. Lorraine Varela here on The Intersection. Learn more at inspiringfaith.us or you can go to unplanned.com front slash devotional. Well, we are about to wrap up this week's edition of The Intersection podcast, the presentation of The Meeting House. Learn more through the programming section at faithradio.org or you can go to meetinghouseonline.info. When you visit the Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center. Also, you can get connected to The Intersection podcast The current episode as well as previous episodes are available in that media center. You could also subscribe via iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. The other is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. 
You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. And there is a link to video content, including recently added content from NRB 2019. Content from the Intersection podcast can also be found through the Faith Radio app and through a variety of other apps, including iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. You can learn more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.